Hello and welcome to Off the Record. Jesse and I are recording this episode on a lovely Memorial Day where we're not, I suppose, at the beach. Uh, we could both be in New Jersey at a beach right now or on a lake and we're not. Uh, Jesse is crying a little less on this episode, hopefully. Are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm in a very stable emotional place, as I should be. That's good. That's good. As you, as you get older, it's important to have your energy uh, more stabilized and less... And less jumpy. My, my chi is balanced. Your chi is balanced. Jesse, have you ever done yoga? Uh, I've attempted it and realized it was not for me. Okay. I just, in my head, as you said, chi pictured you doing yoga. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you know, sitting still is not really for me. Sure. I'm sure, I'm sure, you, I'm sure you've noticed that in my disposition. Yeah. I went, uh, I went to Home Goods this weekend <laughs> and I went to BJ's. I'm just telling you about my weekend now. Uh, and uh, I got a lot of things from my apartment. I cooked something today on a stove for really like one of the first times in my life all by myself without supervision. Wow. I didn't burn the house wow. down. I didn't burn myself. I can't talk, talk. I mean, I cooked a lot when I was your age, but I can't really talk shit because the only thing I think I ever cook in this apartment is mac and cheese or quesadillas. Oh, really healthy stuff. Listen, buddy. I'm just saying, sometimes you got to reward yourself after a long, hard day of dealing with emo bands singing out of tune. Do you autocorrect? Uh, not autocorrect. Do you, do you, do you tune uh, pitch our podcast ever? You should do that, Jesse. You should do that right at this moment. Just throw in some uh, pitch correction. I think, I, I, think I, I think your voice is so atonal it won't be able to find the pitch. <laughs> well, <sighs> this is Off the Record. You can keep up with us at offtherecord.fm to subscribe or to rate us on uh, iTunes. We are going to start today's episode with talking a little bit about a comedian named Hannibal Burris, who I actually saw live at uh, Grace's College a few months ago. And it was pretty funny. I have to tell you, I'm jealous. Uh, m- m- me and the girl have been trying to go see him for quite a while now, and we just like never are free the nights he's playing. We had uh, we had no idea who he was, but uh, Grace's best friend is a big fan. And uh, wait, 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 hold on. You don't watch Broad City. I didn't, and so Grace didn't either. And after seeing this show, we have both started watching Broad City, actually. I mean, the last season was one of the greatest seasons of television, I think, in the history of comedy. In the history of comedy? It what was, about was, Seinfeld, Jesse? Oh my God, the worst show ever! Ah, the best show of all time. Um, and then the, he's also on the Eric Andre show, which is amazing. I don't know what that is. Uh, Eric Andre was a character on Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment Twenty Three, another one of the greatest shows of all time. Also, don't know but that he is. does a really absurd show on Adult Swim where he kind of fakes this talk show type of thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's very good, but it's very very hipster. I see. Yeah, well, it's probably I, a little too hip. I really like the. I really liked Hannibal Burris. It was pretty enjoyable. So, what's he doing? Why? Why are we talking about comedy on a music podcast? It's it's true. I mean, I do love my comedy, but um, so he's using a service called Yonder, which gives you a box for your cell phone when you arrive at a show. So apparently, after you get patted down to make sure you have no recording devices, you then put your cell phone in a box that is controlled by Wi-Fi, and it does not open again until you leave the venue, which is very interesting because what comedians are having trouble with is that their material gets broadcast live onto YouTube by all these idiots filming and bootlegging it all the time, and they can't test out and work through their comedy. It's kind of like a two-part issue, right? Like part one of the issue is what if, you know, comedians uh, attempt to push the, like, border, what if they push it a little too far, which in Mm -hmm. a stabilized setting... 
they'd be they could see like, oh man, this was bad. Can't do that, right? But but now that could go online in a very bad way, and they could wake up the next morning to fifty pieces about him or her being a horrible human being, right? Yes, and Chris Rock uh, discussed this recently in an amazing interview in New York Magazine that he did with Frank Rich, where he was talking about how he can't play college campuses anymore because they've gotten too uptight when he's like kind of like going a little too far with some of the comedy and like he misplaces how he should say it. And there is a thing of that, you know, you're doing when you're a genius like these guys and you're going off the cuff, you do sometimes go a little too far. There's times on this podcast I have to edit out when my jokes go a little too far and then, you know, no one knows it after Zach sits there and goes, oh, you got to get rid of that. And you're not even a comedian. I'm basically like, you know, I, me and my girl keep saying there's an amateur comedy night two blocks away and, you know, the guys are so bad at it that we're, we keep saying we're just going to work on our routine and then go up there and embarrass everybody. Well, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, this like I, I did read the Chris Rock thing, and then I heard him on a podcast. I think it might have been the BS Report, but it was like very accurate. Uh, like you know, I I'm not like a huge stand-up comedian person. Oh, really? I I could be like uh, Grace and I will watch stuff on Netflix a lot, um, and I like it a lot. But I, it's not something I typically go out of my way to watch, you know. But at the same time, like I think the historic. Uh, attraction of comedians is obviously to be funny, but to also push the envelope. And so for Chris Rock to go to a college and the college be like, well, we're paying you a lot of money to do this, but you can't push the envelope at all. It's just kind of like neutering the comedians. And it's, you know, not that they should be pushing things to a highly insulting, terrible level, but everyone makes a mistake. But should that ruin your career forever? I don't know. Yes. But this, this is a good way. This is one good way to help stop that. Yes. So to take it to music and what we do, as we know, groups like Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and Savages are very insistent on when they play that there is no cell phone use, that they feel it harshes their vibe to see of a sea of iPads filming them. So and then there's also the thing of bands debuting new material, like a great example. So when I talked about that amazing dance show I went to the other week, um, Sophie, one of my favorite performers, has been collaborating recently with the pop genius known as Charlie XCX. Uh, Sophie leaked some of the tracks that she's been working on with Charlie XCX. And of course, you know, every stereo gum noisy all put it up in 10 seconds. And it is, I think is this service is the type of service that could stop it. Now, the problem with stopping this though, is that we all know also that a lot of music promotion these days is you get to know and see that, you know, I'm sure we've all had this happen is that all of a sudden you see a bunch of your friends Instagramming or tweeting or, you know, videoing some sort of concert and you go, hey, I didn't know that everybody liked this band. Let me check them out. Or or like uh, that night on the right before Coachella where Brand New played the first song for the first time. It was the first song of their set. Yes. The whole internet that likes Brand New like lo collectively lost their shit and scoured Twitter for an hour to find live videos, right? Like yep. that was something that happened. Also, someone put up a live video during the show. Like it was insanity, right? And if you do something like this, that's gone. And I don't know that like if you take the actual band Brand New, I don't know that they care one way or the other, but it's a good mm -hmm. example that like like a little pandemonium was caused because it was the first new song in six years. And and so do you want to remove that? Like, obviously it's brand new. So that video would have been posted after regardless, but it created this whole like, whoa, I got to see this show because they're playing new music and I want new music mm. from them. Yeah. So I think there is a thing is that social media and posting this stuff is an advertisement for bands who need it. But then there's also a choice that starts to become here with this 
new technology. I don't know that any band really needs to necessarily guard their stuff in this day and age like this, but I do get it that if, like, let's say you're doing, like, one of those shows where you basically play your whole record in full before the record comes out, that you could guard it if you want to just do that for a bunch of tastemakers and stuff like that. And you want everybody's first impression of your record to be your record, not your live performance of your record. I went to see Taking Back Sunday in 2009? God, really? Maybe 2009. <laughs> uh, play a synagogue called Orsons in uh, like the lower, lower east side. Um, it was like a December show. And it, and they did two performances and they filmed it uh, and recorded it for a DVD and CD. And since it was just like 50 or 100 people per session, everyone had to like hand their cell phones in and that, you knew that going into it. Um, because one, they didn't want people like recording it, and but also obviously messing up the audio and video stuff with cell phones. Uh, and that was interesting, but that was on a lot lower level. And I think it would be actually a lot harder for Take Back Sunday to pull that off in 2015, where everyone is that much more glued to their phone. You know, like in 2009, mm. I bet a lot of those people still had like flip phones. I had a BlackBerry, right? Like it's a, it's different. Yes. Like we have this. You you very famously pre becoming Apple fo- fanboy number one had a BlackBerry. I, love, I, I still love that BlackBerry. One of the best, maybe maybe the best cell phone I ever had. I still, I, there's still things I miss about my last BlackBerry. I will agree that that keypad was truly. I, I still text so much less than I right. do. I could. Did I was. I was destructive on a BlackBerry Pearl in uh, in class as a high schooler. Mm. Those are my. Those are my times. Those were my times. Yeah, but BlackBerry Pearl, that was my last one, yeah. too. Man, remember Justin Remember Justin and his... He was the ultimate BlackBerry fan, but you know when he gave up from Man Overboard, his BlackBerry, that the company was over. It's, it's true. They, they basically had to pry his antiquated technology from his cold, dead heart. Yep, yep. But, yeah, so I don't I don't know what, like... I don't know what the process would be for this today, right? If So if you take a band like... Or not even a band, I don't know. I could see, like, Jack White wanting no one to have cell phones at his shows, right? So, but he doesn't like. Why does he care? He doesn't care if like anyone's upset because he's still going to sell the show out and everyone's still going to go anyway. But I I think like how would you also like does like a question of not safety but like if you so let's just say let's say all time lower playing Best Buy theater okay let's take me ten years ago but like now a fourteen year old or a fifteen year old kid that really wants to go to a show in New York City but his or her parent are terrified of what live music means. And uh, they're like, uh, I guess you can go, but you need to be back by 11 and you have to have your cell phone on. I'm probably going to text you a hundred times during the set. My mother still does this as a 22 year old to me. Okay. So what happens if, uh, you know, everyone goes to this show, there's 3000 kids and no one has cell phone reception. Like the, like, don't like, there's definitely, I think at least for like underage crowds, that's a problem, right? Uh, I didn't know this, but then I forget that like you're the, from the tiger mom generation that that's the thing. I, I what, more is, think is that, about is that close to the Jewish mom generation in general. <laughs> you not know the tiger mom. No, I don't. Uh, it, it's this very tethered parenting technique. Uh, like my, my, my parents, I often joke, let me roam free like a wild wolf in the streets. I uh, I don't think I'll ever have the opportunity to drive from New York to Philly or from New Jersey to Philly without my mother texting me. Did you make it yet? Did you? Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That is something. So the point I would make is this, is that uh, 
I don't just think of it like that as like, I think of it as somebody who's responsible for a lot of things that I can't be oh, yeah. in touch with it. And I might not want to go. Cause like so the perfect example is so like I run my recording studio and other producers work there and they often have to text or call me and say, and I basically have to have my cell phone on whenever those things are. And that might discourage me from going to a show uh, because who, I need them to be able to get leave, to People who can't leave their work at their job at five or six o'clock. That's impractical. Like just in general, you don't have to be in music. You don't have to be in tech. It's just like in general, people who don't have a job where they can leave their work at it when they leave, that doesn't fly, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm one of those people I have to, uh, I can't even turn my phone off in a movie theater a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. That actually, I went to see Mad Max. Would you ever watch Mad Max or is that like a no way, Jesse? No, no, that, that's, that, there's a, there's, it's never happened. But you know what was funny is when you went to see it, remember, I was texting you. Oh, yeah. And you weren't, you weren't answering. I thought about it. I was like, wow, Zach answers a text in like one minute every time. And I was like, oh, I saw on the Twitter machine he's going to a movie. Yeah. And so like movies used to stress me out so much because of the website. Like what happens if yeah. brand new release, a new song or something. Uh, but I got to say, actually, it was very nice to have the Apple Watch because I didn't mm. have to pull my phone out a hundred times. And it was very nice. I could see you. And I, it wasn't like I was ignoring you and just kind of like, I will answer this later kind of thing. And that was nice. So, so as a decide, how are you liking your uh, wrist-wearing nerd alert? Really liking it. Uh, as a decide to the aside, uh, my high, my, the, uh, the school I went to growing up, uh, K through 12, they do like a raffle charity thing every year. And my dad like put 50 bucks in and the school called him and they were like, you won. And he was like, do I get money? And they're like, no, you get an Apple watch and other stuff. And so, Oh my God. And so I think uh, I was then told by my father, your mother tried to tell me it was hers, but it's going to be mine. And then I said, what were you going to do with an Apple watch dad? And he said, it looks cool. Mm. I'm liking my Apple watch though. Uh, mm. it's making me like want to, it's interesting. Like, so there's, there are these like activity rings, basically it's making, I, you know, I walk a lot during the day, but I don't like exercise. But if it's, if I see it's like three fourths of the way there, it's like, it makes, it's making me want to like go walk for another mile or something, which I think is good mm. for society in general. That is, that, that is, we have a bunch of fat slobs who don't exercise in our society. Yeah, so I like it. I like it. That could that could also be like you could see movie theaters ideally wanting to. What a good what a good back uh, what a good back thing. You could also see movie theaters trying to like this would be great. No one's going to pull out their phone and text a hundred times in a movie theater, but like it just doesn't seem practical in our society today, long term, to do this. I agree. Um, I do think, though, this is probably going to be a thing at comedy clubs. Like, I could see, like, where I go to see comedy sometimes is the Comedy Cellar, which is, you know, famous for being, like, the place that's at the top of uh, Louis' show. And um, it's a very, very small venue, and I could totally see them doing this to everybody. Now, doing a pat-down on the way in, that's a different story. I would really, it would be nice. I mean, I don't know. I don't see this happening at, like, shows I go to, but it would be nice at, like, an acoustic or, like, an evening with show, you know, where it's trying to be a little more intimate, mm -hmm. if, it, yeah. if that could be something, because it's more like I could see this band live with, like, you know, like this 50 times, but I'm probably only going to see this acoustic show once, and that would be cool. But Understood. So you got on a little tangent about Brand New here, yeah. and we want we wanted to discuss what they've been up to. Yeah, so Brand New at uh, the beginning, oh, I think maybe on my birthday, uh, released a new song called Meanie, uh, and it sent the internet into a flame, and that was the same song that they had been playing live for a few days earlier. 
And this this made a lot of people assume that either the album was like done and was going to be announced any day, or the album was just about done um, and was definitely coming soon. They also were playing another song on the tour called Sealed to Me live. Um, and it turns out the band was in the studio just last week, like a month and a half after the band was playing it live, recording the song. And so a lot of people were like, wait, is any of this record recorded even? You know, and the answer is no one knows. And if I had to guess, me personally, I would not put a lot of money on brand new releasing an album, maybe ever again, or this year, just from just from the way the wind is blowing. They could, I could be wrong, they could release an album tomorrow. But um, I, it made me think of, and I thought you would be interesting to talk to about this. I feel like at the end of the like the neon MySpace era, everyone was like, albums are dead. Uh, no more, no more fourteen song albums. Definitely, definitely albums that are no more than ten songs long. And also, I may not even release an album anymore. Only EPs, only singles, stuff like that. Kind of before physical like vinyl picked up again. And it seemed like that quickly died off and was idiotic because none of those EPs like lasted as standalone things and everyone like just kept making albums, um, especially because record labels can charge more for an album than an EP. Uh, but I wonder, like, what if Brand New just releases an EP this year or five singles separately or two EPs, something like that? Like, do you think, what what did you think five years ago or whatever when that started to be a conversation? And do, And do you think, that would work now, especially with streaming. We like we didn't really have streaming then, like we do now. Obviously, on my favorite idiot moron rockers forever, the sickest kids. When I say favorite, I say this as a true fan of their early. Yes, work. he really likes them, and he really like he really likes their political views even more. Oh god! Um, so they announced that they were going to do three EPs instead of an. Oh LP. yeah, they're actually the perfect example of this. And I was very excited. I wrote articles just praising them because I think, especially as you're a band on the Ascension, so you're not a brand new yet, um, that you're a band that's trying to get bigger and bigger right. and you're bigger. You're quickly saying, picking up new fans. You don't have the mass of fans yet. Yeah, it makes you more eventful. Like You think about how quick you disappear from the news these days when you put out a record at this point. It really seems like everybody I talk to is just like, how do I stay on anybody's mind when there's just this content bombardment these days. And one of the ways you do is by releasing more music more often and just always staying on people's radar. So I think in some ways, this is really smart. Now, with that said, there is an immersion with an album that like, you know, yes, singles are great. And I'm like, as we often discuss, I'm a playlister. Zach is not, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there adding to my playlist all day the new Skrillex Diplo Justin Bieber hot track and how is that song oh my god I, I I hate them for making me like a song with Justin Bieber but that I thought he was kind of done I didn't think there was I, I thought so too Justin Bieber well so this is the problem is that they wrote a song the hook isn't yeah. him singing the hook is the instrumental and that hook is just unbelievable so that's why you know, he's relevant again. Thanks, Skrillex and Diplo. Um, anywho, I think that there's a thing of that, yeah, like there's people who like to consume singles, but then there's a thing of like, you know, especially um, in our moody emo music scene, um, you know, you want to sit there and take 45 minutes to indulge in an emotion and like hear that miserable record or hear that record that feels really good with the windows down. There's two sides to this. I don't think records are ever going to die. I think that this is going to be a thing where like 
Yes, some people that stay do this to stay more relevant, and because they don't have a full voice, they want to say. And also, I like I will also say, I think bands force records a lot of time. Bands don't think about the theme of a record as much, and maybe this is something to get into in another top time. But uh, I think that this is a good way to for you to exercise material that might not necessarily work on your next full length. Right, but to, so to further go down that route, as you were talking, I in my head I was like, oh, you know what? Also, as we've talked about, like Forever the Sickest Kids released one or two records before doing that EP thing, right? And Just one, 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 one full length and one EP. Right, but to counter, like to reverse that, so, and here's a conflict of interest, buzzing sound, Real Friends and Knucklepuck released three EPs each before releasing a full length, and they did it, they, like, reverse built it, right? Like, they they were bands that were like, we don't know what the sound of our full length is going to be, so we're not going to rush it, and we'd also like to build our band and fan base, and so we're going to try to do a bunch of EPs first and see how that goes. And that, I mean... Uh, you know, I, I think I can say objectively speaking has worked out very well for both bands, right? Like they're, they're mm-hmm. both popular yeah, bands totally. and, and they did it their way and they have an album come, and like Knuckle Puck have an album coming in a few months. But it's interesting to think about it on the scale of brand new where they, where they haven't done an EP, right? And they're like a really big band and they could potentially sell a hundred thousand records first week, but instead they may just not do that because maybe they don't want to release a full album's worth of material. Maybe they don't have a full album's worth of material. So it's interesting to me is the size scale difference. They're also a band that has showed, um, if anything, a complete absolute no giving of of any fucks about staying in the news cycle. Yes. Yes. Um, And maybe that's changing, that just because you've usually had that doesn't mean you haven't learned and haven't decided to go down a different route. To to go down the point I was going to go down, so one of the things I think in music bands don't pay attention to is they just assemble a bunch of songs and they go, oh, well, you know, a record I like, it has a ballad, then it has, like, the acoustic song. And I think a lot of the best records of all time have, like, this thing to it where, like, it's a consistent mood. When I did this band... um, Race the Sun, we did a record called The Rest of Our Lives Tonight. We decided to make like a conscious thing that we weren't going to do the ballad and this. We wanted to just a record where literally all we thought about when we were choosing which songs to go on it was that you roll down the windows in the summer and you crank it as loud as it goes. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is a good way, like EPs and singles and one-offs. It's a great way for bands to exercise that. Yeah, they do want to write that ballad or they want to do the weird song with a lot of feedback at the end that the pop punk bands love doing, or you want to do your grungier song. Yeah. Make it a single, make it this. And then think about an album for being a more concise piece of statement that actually does have a consistent feeling to it. Yeah. I'm going to be like curious. Like, I mean, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head by saying like brand new, like truly does not care. (laughs) They just Mm -hmm. don't. Um, And that's why I think it could be interesting because they're not doing it as like a marketing move. Right. They like, they're not doing it as like, oh, we're going to release three uh, concept EPs, and one is going to tell the story of the ocean, the moon, and the sun. You know, that's not like that's not what it's going to be. And I'm curious then to see like how everyone flocks to it or not, um, or like what the staying power of a like what if it's an incredible five song EP? I'm curious to see what the staying power of that is compared to you know a normal fifty two minute brand new album. I don't I don't know the answer, but like I'm. I think it's potentially pretty interesting if they only come out with singles or an EP versus just something that's a lot more. Yeah, 
Well, I, consumption-wise, like, I think of it this way, like we were talking about for our six kids. What I tend to do is I put on the full length that I like, and then I put on that EP I like right after. Uh-huh. And I pretty much always listen to the two of them together. Mm. And it's just like that thing. It's a, it's a consistent feeling. It's similar material. There's a little bit of growth. And I think that, you know, that's the thing is, is I don't, I think there is a place in consumption for people to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like it. I'm here. I mean, look, I, I want like in, in the specific case of brand new, I want a record, but I'm just curious. Like yeah. if I really like that new song, if there were five different sounding songs that were up to that song's caliber, and, but the band didn't feel like they had six more to make a full length. I'll, I definitely want those songs, right? And I think everyone else probably does too. I'm just curious. Uh, gotcha. So we have a lot of questions. We got a lot. People like asking us. They like tweeting hashtag ask OTR to ask questions about your mind, Jesse. Mm-hmm. Dating advice too. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's what the show. That's what the show is about. They have no idea what they're getting into in that one. No. So the first question is, I've helped book Dash going on the band and I's first non-regional tour in a couple weeks, and I'm wondering what are some need-to-know tips from both me as a tour manager and them as the first tour. They'll be supporting a new album. We have some ideas on how to sell that download cards for cheap, free download car with a purchase of T-shirt, physical CDs for 7 8. But I'm wondering more so in terms of what you've seen not work for bands and what does work well on a first tour. Zach, uh, please do not sell a CD for more than five dollars. Please do not sell a CD for seven or eight dollars, especially as like a small band. Don't do that. CD should always be five dollars, uh, like especially as a small band trying to grow and just trying to get it in the hands of fans. Also, just in general, uh, and sometimes you can't really do anything about it. But tip, like typically, it's a lot easier for someone to give you a five dollar bill than it is to get two fives and two to get one five and two singles or to get a 10 and give back three dollars um so that's why you always typically see merch being sold for five 10 15 20 25 instead of 23 dollars or something like that it's different online because it's just a credit card or paypal so no one really cares but on a, in a physical location what if that person doesn't have enough singles and you don't have enough change that's just like a, a side mark but uh, I, I really do like the free download card idea. That's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. So is Thomas and so the bands I've been working with. Like, how can we get more people to get music from us? How can we get, uh, like, not in like a gross way, but how can we communicate with them more? How can we get those people's email addresses? If we if we print a thousand cards and 200 of those people that, a thousand people take the cards and 200 of those people give us email addresses and then also like, uh, you know, we can give them a free copy of some kind of demo or something. That's that's a good trade-off in my mind. Um, and so I do like the idea of the download cards with a purchase of any merch item um, or anything. Don't like just let if people want it, and you can say like, hey, you can download these three songs for free, or you can buy the CD for five bucks right here. Just give them the option. Maybe they're going to buy that CD anyway from you. Well, so you kind of aped my advice, which was going to be that make sure you're starting to get email addresses with a zip code uh, on where you're performing every single night because there's nothing more valuable than staying in touch. You know, it's like so funny how many bands don't believe that. The email that addresses? Emails, that email addresses are more powerful than Twitter, Facebook, oh, yeah. anything it's, else. It's and, really important like for not- and, yeah. but, but But I feel like you tell people this. 
and they just don't believe. Well, it seems like hard I, work, I, I, right? Yeah. Well, I had a, a, a band that you and I are good friends with actively has a member who, like, thinks I'm lying about this, that, like, this works because he doesn't do it. And it's, like, it's so silly because you, you see – you. And there was just a new uh, published thing, like a hypebot had it the other week, about how much more effective email is than Facebook and Twitter with quantifiable, you know, analytic data. And it's just start getting those email addresses from day one. And the one thing I'll say to you is, like, when you're talking about, like, maybe we get 200 email addresses, it's like, I think if somebody, if you're getting something free, whether it's a sticker a button, a download card from a band, then you should be getting their email address. That is not too much to ask. Um, Agreed. Agreed. Uh, I will. I, I will also say, get a bike lock for your van's uh, steering wheel because robbers won't expect it. Get a is some sort of uh, battery for a drop cam and put it inside your van so you can watch your van at night. I like that. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, I, I bought my parents a uh, drop cam for their birthdays. Seeing them watch their cats on it made me realize, like, this is a really good thing for bands with their bands. They can see when it's getting robbed and if they're close by. Bands and cats, pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah, totally, totally. Totally. Uh, yeah, the email, and this, you know, actually the one of the last questions we've got is, uh, this could be a good time to tie it into this, is from at... Christina with X's for the eyes. Uh, what's the best email blast service you've come across so far? Uh, I, I assume Jesse and I will both say Mailchimp. Yeah, I, especially if you have under two thousand email addresses, Mailchimp is free and it's the best tool out there. So I can't recommend that enough. Yep, and uh, yeah, exactly what Jesse said. Under two thousand, go for it, and that's awesome. And if you do get more than two thousand, it's probably worth the money because that means there's a really good chance of getting a lot more fans in touch with whatever you're doing. Uh, Bad timing uses it a lot. We're trying to get more active with Knuckle Puck, who've done it. Uh, uh, Man Overboard are kind of the prime example of a band who does their newsletters really well and not too annoyingly, but when when the things matter. And yeah, it, it's very important. Like you, you get emails from a lot of places if you're a band. You can get it from your web store. You can get it from Bandcamp, at, you know, et cetera. And if you're a band with a popular Bandcamp page, you might have a lot of email addresses there. That's also, by the way, Jesse, I would say like the plus of sometimes doing like, you can grab our music for free for 24 hours. Or, or, or making a sample or making a mixtape with all your friends' bands on it and where you all get the email right, addresses. Because this music is for this, uh, sorry, not the music. The, the music is for free, sure. But also, I mean, you, someone may throw you a couple bucks for it, but also you like those email addresses are potentially really worth something to you, especially if those people start to love your music. So. I, I really like that idea as well. So MailChimp is good. Uh, you could listen to any of a million podcasts and get some kind of discount code on MailChimp as well, potentially. Yes. <laughs> so uh, next question is uh, from an anonymous human being. I kind of understand why Hopeless Records puts all of their time into all-time low because they can squeeze money out of their fans. But why do they put almost no focus on any other band on the label? On their website, they always answer asks about all-time low, but if you ask them about any other band, they usually ignore it. It's not like the bands on the label didn't don't realize this, considering how much shade have Mercy throws, jokingly, about not releasing a record until 2020. This would have been a really good question for me to ignore. <laughs> but as Have Mercy's manager, and as, a, as uh, Have Mercy's manager who are on Hopeless Records, I thought this would be actually a good one to answer. Um... I want to displace one thing first. Have Mercy do often joke about, hey, 
wonder if anyone will hear this new song we recorded. Like, just like so anyone, so, I mean, it doesn't really matter, but Have Mercy released their second album under a year ago. We're not really, like, there's no rush to release a new album at this point. Like, no, it would, it, it, I can very confidently say uh, I and the band are not in a battle with Hopeless Records about when we're going to put out 10 new songs because the band does not have 10 new songs. And even if we did, it would not make sense to release a whole new album under uh, 12 months from when when the last one came out when we believe that album has a lot of legs. Um, And regarding All Time Low, I think it kind of all trickles down from this one. Like the label has been investing in that band for truly over 10 years now. And they just had a record uh, that has now sold well over a hundred thousand copies in under a month. Like that's really impressive for an independent uh, label. And that, that success should actually only benefit the wonder years or have mercy or neck deep. Uh, I think in terms of the social question, I think all time low is pretty damn popular on Tumblr. So that might be a pretty good reason why, uh, <laughs> a label might be more privy to get a million reblogs on Tumblr for all time low. Uh, so they get more followers. So the next time they post about have mercy or neck deep or the wonder years, more people see that. I don't, Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with Hopeless Records is marketing for all-time low when it turned around and has sold 100,000 records. Pretty impressive to me. But next question is, I noticed that Pure Noise is making a big deal about including download codes in the new CD versions of the story so far for your Strong and Census Fail albums. Are they able to double count these CD sales? If they are, thoughts? Story so far is being sold in stores like Target so they could have a huge first week because of this. I really don't think... Uh, Pure Noise is probably... I don't think Pure Noise is double-counting those. What I will say is that I think it's genius to include download codes and CDs. Agreed. And yeah. that's that's why they're doing it. They're doing it because it's smart to put download codes and CDs uh, because some people just buy CDs for their cars. I do not have a CD input on either of my two computers, but I might want to give the band 5 or $10 for a CD to just support them if I don't buy vinyl but I still want that music and I should be able to download it without having to buy a $79 extension CD input from, from Apple. Right. I a hundred percent agree. I I've long said that this should be just a common yeah. thing. Someone, my friend at rise told me that they started doing this like six months ago and I was like, shit, gotta do that. Mm. It's really smart. Mm. I think. Yeah. I mean, the other thing too is why not, uh, try to get their email when they go to download, just like to tie it back again. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that's also, yeah, it's just more emails. It, it, I think it just feeds the machine and I think it's really great. So the next question is, so Jesse has had lots of a breakups. Apparently who knew? Who knew? Zach may, maybe can help too. I know breakups are part of life, and I'm supposed to grow from this and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I'm a closed-off person. I opened up to a girl, fell in love, and now I'm here all alone. I lost all my friends from the relationship. Some advice would be this nice. This got pretty dark, Jesse. It, I mean, that, that's, the losing all your friends from it, too, is pretty dark. Um, the one thing I'll say is you can't close up from this once this happens. Like, yeah, I've, I think I've had three breakups in the last year and a half. I'm really good. At and besides that time you cried last week, you've held up pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really good at relationships. If anybody's counting up uh, anyway, you have to be able to open up again. You, the solution is not to close off. The solution is to learn from each relationship. What I like to do when I break up with somebody each time is I like to try to write down some lessons I learned that I won't make mistakes again. So, for example, these may be like 
don't date a girl on, uh, you know, antidepressants. Maybe don't date somebody who's really violent. Don't date somebody. I can't personally date people who scream because when people scream at me, I don't react well. Like I just close off and my brain goes to hell. Don't date someone that doesn't respect you and your passions and don't date someone whose passions you don't respect. Yeah. yeah that's, it's a, it's that, a that's two way a, street where uh, none of us are perfect. I see, 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 I've always, I, I've known that one for a long time, but I, the number one thing I see that when the bands are having trouble in their relationships at the studio, it's that they're dating a passionless person who begrudges them for their passion. Right, right. It's very important to realize that while you're, I think while your life might be hard and you think things are unfair to you, it's very possible that your partner feels the same way and it's important not to be too selfish. This is very, very true stuff here. Right. It's getting get very big, real. You know, it's like... Remember, remember when we pledged not to do dating advice on the show? I know. I don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. This, this mm-hmm. might be we'll, the end. We love our listeners. We, love we our do. Listeners we want to so help you guys with the rules. We want to help you guys and girls with everything, clearly. So uh, the next question from at Punks and Rex. It seems like the sound in pop punk evolves every five years or so. Where do you guys see it going next? Where do you hope it goes? Remember that thing about Attila last week where they I mentioned that they put like that one part of musical scariness in between all the breakdowns and the screaming? Mm-hmm. I imagine mm-hmm. that that's where we're going. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah you really no, think T.A. I don't, I don't think score? No. I mean, even, even Chunk No Captain Chunk, who kind of had a little bit of that uh, on their uh, part of my French record, abandoned that for Did their new Did you know they released a new album? I, I, dude, I've been rocking it all week. Is it? I had no idea. How is it? It's not it's as good as the last one. It's very apparent to me that I have changed my focus with the website when I learned last week that Chunk No Captain Chunk had a new album out for the first time. Yeah, it, it's it's not it's not as good and exciting as the one before. The one before was truly a, a masterpiece. Joey Sturgis killed Seems it. Seems to be getting less of a push from the label. Yeah, I, I mean, I th- the, the the production's a little boring uh-huh, to me. I see. And, and you know, the production on the last one was just you know it was nonstop excitement. Yeah, and plus great album name. Uh, I mean, part of my French. Come on. Um, Anyway, to, to get back to, I don't think that that's where it's going. I, I think in music right now, I don't think we've discussed this. My my big theory on music today is everything's in a divergent stream. So while you're seeing like EDM get more and more produced, then you have another thing in EDM where it's getting more and more raw and minimal. And in the pop punk world, what I'm seeing is is you're getting this even more raw thing. Like I'd even noticed, like I had a band the other week, like when I went to like master their record, they like literally wanted it so raw that they were like, they basically just wanted no mastering (laughs) really. Like, and then you get this thing where it's also going super, super polished. Or then you have like the mumble core thing, like where these bands are getting really into grunge and not pronounced as well as other bands are getting really slick and really produced. And I think that that's a thing. Now, I will say this, though. If you wanted to bet where most of it's going, there's undoubtedly to me a thing that, you know, bands like Hum and this neo-grunge thing, that's definitely an influence that's going on. And I know for a fact one of the biggest bands in the scene just now made a record with a huge grunge influence, so... I'll say that. I uh, If we're talking like strictly pop punk, I think that there, there was a large conversation recently of like, does everything need to sound like um, newfound glories, sticks and stones? And that's not an insult. That's more like, a, does everything need to sound like it's 20-year-olds writing about their heartbroken? Or can music progress like, and I think a very good, uh, I think a very good example of this would be like The Greatest Generation by The Wonder Years, where there's still like, 
they're still a pop punk band, but the the lyrical content is not. Uh, I hate this girl. She broke my heart. Blah blah blah. It's a lot more like seeing what pop punk can grow into. And I'm not saying that this is something that's never been done, but I think we're if if some of these bands that have been around for a while uh, want to like continue to make music, the music needs to grow with them ex- instead of being like fake, right? And so I, mm. I think that's. I think that's hope. Like what I'm hoping for as someone that's 22 and hopefully will be listening to pop punk for a very long time or forever. I hope music continues to grow with me. Um, and, I, and I think the wonder years are a good example of what that could mean. Yes. Uh, I will also say this though, to push back, it's not every five years, this evolution as you watch it is a something that's just happening on a, I, I see it happening over like half a year at this point, but like, you know, even go to your thinking, I totally agree about the sticks and stones thing is that there's been kind of like this lock of bands that kind of like just appreciate. Right, like why does it have to, why does it have to start and stop there? Well, but so here's the interesting thing though, before that it was like uh screeching weasel was what every band had to be. Right. And like, which was also a kind of a Green Day Dookie thing, like a Green Day Dookie would be the larger record, but really everybody would say that Green Day Dookie was just a more polished version of what Screeching Weasel was doing. I feel like there's... And Green Day admitted it. Yeah, I feel like there's always one band that comes out with a record that like is quote unquote like scene changing, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, like let's just say the upsides. And then a lot of bands for the next two years are trying to make that record. But yeah. that, there's a potential that the band that made the big record that changed stuff, like the Wonder Years, have evolved, right? And, and then it's <clears> like, oh, well, we got to evolve now, too. I think it's a lot of like, oh, they did something. That's what we should try to do. Oh, wait, they're already done doing that. Ah, kind of, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think th- th- think we're in agreement. So the next one is from at the, in- the Asylum venue. And it says, how do merch deals work between band label, e.g. label sells merch and pre-orders? Well... <clears throat> Seeing as I was reading one of your contracts I, this week, I you know, you, I just you, you, sent you, 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 uh, you, you, my partner <laughs> just sent an updated one of that ten minutes ago. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. So it's different per label. Uh, bad timing. Our, our deals are fifty-fifty deals um, with all of our artists musically, and so are our merch deals. So if we sell a hundred, if uh, the profit on our merch sales are a hundred dollars. Uh, then we get 50 of that dollars and the artist that we're working with gets $50. Some bands sign, as we've talked about in the past, have PPD deals where they get a percentage of music sales and they might also get a percentage of merch sales or they might get 50-50 of merch sales. Again, it really depends on the label and the artist. But I, I think for 50-50 labels, it's always pretty much 50-50. It's pretty standard, frankly. But but we should also say so. What most labels say in their contract is they get somewhere between one to two merch designs. Yes, that they get to take a cut off of per per record. Yes, yes, exactly. And so, so bad timing. Like if we're putting out a record by a band, we're going to request that we get one or two T-shirts for the cycle of this band, and uh, we'll split the money. But we're not asking for ten. You know, we don't ask for ten. You know, exclusive shirts or something like that. And, and does if, any does does any label get ten? No, just an example. Seen, I, like, think th- I think, I think, I think th- three is the most I've ever it's seen. Three or four. Right? It's, it depends. Frankly, sometimes it's a good thing. It's like that's kind of like the same reason why bands have merch in multiple stores because it's like there's someone that might see like for Knuckle Puck with Rise Records, it's going to be worthwhile for us to have merch on their store because a lot of people may see it there for the first time and like a design and they could see a lot of money and the band could see a lot of money from it or it could help recoup their contract faster. You know, 
It, it doesn't need to be a negative thing unless they're like, we need all your exclusive merch rights. I think it's a negative uh, consumer thing. I, I One of the things I, I battled with, uh, with Man Overboard was like, I really... And we figured out a way to do it with like the old website design we had is that I wanted there to always be a way for the fans to see every merch design we have, but then get sent somewhere Uh else if they did it. Because like, I think it does help that like when, you know, like I think about when I purchase band t-shirts and as we've discussed, you and I both buy a lot of them, is that like I want to look at everything they have and then choose the one for me. And it's just like that thing of then then you see two weeks later when you're in a hot topic store or something that there's a better design that's no fun and breeds fan animosity. I think it's really important to try to show everything that you have and the options to the fan. That's fair. That's fair. I, I do think though, like for the hot topic thing, for example, like those are exclusive designs. So yeah, but you can still, if you have a WordPress site, you can still show that in your store if you build your store off of uh, right, WordPress definitely. that links into a different backend. Right. I, I agree. So Dan Shazam asked, as a follow to not last week, but two weeks ago's episode, does Fluence have some sort of ratings-feedback system? Yeah, yes, they do. You, but like I don't think I would have any ratings because I've never uh, clicked through to work with anyone and I've never rated anyone's work that I've worked with. But yes, they do have a rating system. So if you have interest in, uh, I don't know, asking someone that you think might help you with your music or your work, uh, you and they've done stuff before, you can you can see about ratings there. So then at Anthony Fartino, do you get do you get asks, the joke? Okay. I do. It's that insipid uh, music. I kind of like that guy. Like I, I think it's a. Oh, I, I think it's like annoying, him. but I, I like it. I I I, I think his shtick really blows. Okay. Um, that's fair. What are your thoughts, dash opinions on Rip Riffraff's business and marketing? Um, I think it's awesome. I am not so into his new jacked. Look. What is that? Like he has muscles now? Oh my god, he gained something like over a hundred pounds of muscle in like six months or something crazy. Vice did a. Is article. he trying to replace the rock? I mean, he's dude. He's getting that big. So he might be in Furious Eight, is what you're telling me. Oh god, I hope not. You know, I'm um, gonna see Riff Raff this summer. Is he, he on, is on the band's Warp Tour? Oh wow! So that means I'm gonna see him if I come. Oh, are you gonna come? I'm, I might go. I might go to a New Jersey or New York date if I'm around. Okay, let's hang out with Riff Raff, dude. Uh, I, I I gotta tell you, you know, like there's a couple Riff Raff songs that really speak to me as a 37 year old guy. Huh. But uh, let me say this. His look is very, I don't want to say unique, but his look is very special. And I think it's one of the things he does better than I see most bands in pop punk doing is he sees the stupid looking things people wear at his shows and make sure he has his name and his logo on every single piece of merch that one of these I don't want to say mean too mean things, but one of these freaks of nature would wear silly millennials. Silly millennials. You know, I call I, I call I call the the, the girl girl I'm dating. She she really gets uh disturbed when I keep calling her a silly millennial. I don't get disturbed when you call me a silly millennial. I am mm-hmm. one, Jesse. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I'm glad you know your place. Yeah. Uh, I don't really know anything about Riff Raff except that I am excited to watch him at uh, Warp Tour this summer on the on the main stage. Do, do, do you not watch his uh, Vine videos or his uh, Instagram videos? No, I, I don't. I don't follow the only the only like real the only real celeb I follow on Instagram is uh, oh, I follow two Taylor Swift and Zach Braff. 
You're a basic bitch. Can that? We, that really can't be the title. Oh, it's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, he, he, his, his Siberian Husky uh, is very cute. He makes great vines and great gifts with, what, with it. What's going to happen with the Husky on Warp Tour? He brings it out on tour with him. That's going to be hot for the poor dog. Uh, well, I think he takes good care. He's got money, dog. Yeah, that's true. Air-conditioned bus bed just for the pup. Yeah. yeah. So our next question is from at Sky McElroy, which is, what advice would you give to someone who wants to make a career out of artist management? Most of our advice we did on a episode called Goes to College and Gets a Job that we aired a few months ago. Yes. The rest of the advice I have in this book that I just updated has a new edition. You are trying to Jesus. I don't know what happened. I think that's a little too vague, and we really do. I think we've done that one to death. Um, I think you should listen to those two episodes if you haven't. And And, and what we will say, mm -hmm. and here's a teaser for our fine listeners. Next week, as we uh, said last week, we will be having a very special guest, uh, Mr. Mike Mowry, on the show. Uh, He is an artist manager for Outer Loop Management. He knows a lot of stuff, and if you have any specific questions about managing bands that sell tens and hundreds or thousands of record or sign to large deals, headline festivals, or uh, have to deal with drama or like anything, anything. And this would be a good show to, to send us your questions. Ha- uh, tweet hashtag ask OTR. We're excited to have a long conversation with Mike. Uh, he is, uh, he's become a good friend of mine. He actually spoke at my college last week and that was uh, awkward. It wasn't awkward. I was just like in the front row. I was like, hey, what's up? (laughs) Um, And that was funny. Uh, But yeah, we're, Jesse and I are pretty excited for the episode next week. I think uh, that we might, maybe every six weeks, maybe going forward, try try to switch it up with an episode. We really had a good time when we had Jeff and Run for Cover on. Um, and, And we hope this episode with Mike is good as well. Yeah, uh, we should save that question for next week. Yes. I think that's all of our questions, isn't it? Yeah, that is. We we could potentially have recommendations. Uh, we should do that. What do you have? So, uh, recommendations. I have been watching uh, Veep in Silicon Valley, as I have for several years. Do you watch Do you watch Silicon Valley? You do. So, Silicon Valley is consistently the show I look forward to the most each week until, aside from when Mad Men was on and until Halt and Catch Fire comes back on next week. But Do you watch Veep or no? So, what I do with Veep every time, I, I don't love, love Veep. Oh, um, man. It, it's too Seinfeld for me, even yeah, though I love that, the political like that, shows. Like Veep, is, Veep, to me, is like a beautiful cross between Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm, but like it yeah. really, like... It feel it's like it's very enjoyable, frankly, to see like a a woman lead role in that because it it comes from like a different angle, and I, yeah. I, I love it. What I do, I I I always see everything of Veep. I've seen none of this season, but that's like one of the few shows that I just like wait till it's done, and then there's like one day I like binge it while I clean the studio or something. Totally, totally. Um, so yeah, I, I really have been liking those two shows. I think Silicon Valley is like way better this season than last season. I liked last season. I, like, I love I loved last season too. I do miss the character based on Peter Thiel. Oh yeah. Yeah. That character was amazing. Very good. Uh, but yeah, I'm really enjoying this season. I think it's great. I I would recommend it. Um, I posted a thing called the podcast I'm listening to on the website a few weeks ago, but, um, I've started listening to a few new podcasts and some of these might be up your alley and some might not. Um, there I've started to 
Jesse, do you listen to any like shorter podcasts, like the ones that are like 15 to 25 minutes? Yeah, well, Freakonomics, Planet Money, those are short. Right, so I, I never like really listened to any of those. And then I was like, you know, I'm going to make a conscious effort because I listen to too many podcasts as it is. But I think it would be like, I'm pr- you know, I'm, I'm pretty adverse to trying something new for the first time, you know? So I was like, I don't want to listen to like a business talk show or whatever, you know? And I was like, uh, so I, I subscribe to Reply All, Planet Money. Yeah, Reply uh, All doesn't do it for me. I like Reply All. Uh, 99% Visible. Like, you know, a bunch of these pretty popular podcasts that are shorter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I found myself to actually be enjoying them all. Sometimes I don't love them, but if they're only 15 or 20 minutes, it's like no biggie, which I think is part of why they're enjoyable. There's another show on The Verge called What's Tech. And so those are some new podcasts I'm listening to. I would recommend... Uh, Jesse, are you listening to the second season of Startup? Of course I am. Have you been liking it? I've been, I, I've been enjoying it a great deal. I, I, you know what? I, I will go as far as say there is no podcast I look forward to and drop everything more. Like that and Tim Ferriss are the two that I'm like... When I see that pop up on my home screen, I'm very excited and thinking about how I get to listen to that as soon as possible. I'll recommend to you there's a show on 5 by 5 called Pipeline. And mm-hmm. they, the first episode of it had Tim Ferriss on. It was, oh, just, really? it was just two weeks ago. It was pretty good. Uh, it was so nice st- to listen to Tim Ferriss in a not two-hour spurt. It was just 40 minutes. <laughs> uh, and it was pretty enjoyable, actually. Yeah, but the last episode of Tim Ferriss with that marriage couple was truly amazing. So, yeah, I, I do like... I was pretty, like, apprehensive about this new season of Startup when they teased it at the end of season one. Uh, I was like, oh, I don't know about this. I, I just fell in love with it so much. I didn't want it to end kind of thing, you know? Uh, but I, I have found myself very much enjoying this season, and I, I really recommend it to anyone. You have you have anything that you like currently? Uh, I'm reading the Elon Musk book that came out last week. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. What's that called? Uh, it's called, like, Tesla, SpaceX, and something, something, something. Huh. Um, it's very, very good. I mean, it's basically, like, that becoming Steve Jobs' book, but instead it's becoming Elon Musk. And Interesting. It, uh, you know... Very interesting guy, um, you know, and at the same time, there's, like, people have been tweeting some of the quotes of, like, how ridiculous he is. Is like, you know, there's, like, one quote, he's like, I feel like I should start dating again. What do women need, like, 10 hours a week or something? I think I can make that work. And you're like, oh, man, dude. Oh, man. Uh, That's rough. Elon Musk, colon, Tesla, SpaceX, and the quest for a fantastic future. That would be it. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Well, thank you for listening to Off the Record this week. If you like what you heard, you can fully subscribe to us at offtherecord.fm or on iTunes. Leave us a review with uh, what kind of dating advice we would you would like to hear us give you in the future. Uh, maybe don't do that. Uh, thank you, and we'll be back next week with Mike Mowry. Uh, please tweet us questions via uh, hashtag AskOTR. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>